want to take less than 60 seconds to tell you how you can support the podcast if you feel that the podcast is worth supporting. Step number one is you can go to 1-800-CONTACTS, assuming you have contacts that you're in need of, and give them a shot. 1-800-CONTACTS, they're a community sponsor, and we couldn't do this without them. Way number two that you can support the podcast is you can go to Lingo Eyewear, www.liingo, eyewear.com, and use code LIGHTTHEFIGHT for $30 off your order. I actually just ordered my very first pair of sunglasses, of eyeglasses, I don't know why I said sunglasses, and I'm excited because they're sending me a few different pairs, and I get to pick which ones I want and which one I like and keep it and send the other ones back. So lingoeyewear.com and make sure you use the code light the fight. The third way you could visit us at Patreon and that is www.patreon.com backslash light the fight. And what that is, is just a way to get some extra bonus contact content with us, connect with us on a different level. And we take a lot of deeper dives on podcasts. We're doing educational tutorials. So we got a lot of stuff that we're building over there. Come on all over. A lot of people have come over. It's as easy as five bucks a month. So that's patreon.com backslash light the fight. Okay, enough of that. Let's get to the good stuff now. Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. All right, well, healthy Harriman, I'm Heidi. No, you're not. I'm not Heidi? (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. I wish I was you sometimes. No, you don't, for sure. So for all of you guys out there, don't mind us. We're just doing a live podcast here um, by the request of the city of Harriman. Heidi and I have been doing a podcast for parents and family members. Um, The story that brought us together has to do with this whole entire week and this whole entire month. And unfortunately, that story has to do with suicide. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a live podcast here tonight. So if you want to come up and you want to listen to a little bit about what we're talking about, feel free. Um, If not, no worries. Go amongst your business. Enjoy the events. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the booths. And uh, Heidi and I are just going to be talking about feelings. (laughs) And uh, no, all seriousness, we're going to be talking about this week. We're going to be talking about the evolution of how these events have come about and how much we've seen that has changed since the passing of her son, Corey. Um, Heidi is a resident of Harriman, and I am a high school teacher at Harriman High School, as well as a licensed marriage and family therapist that specializes with suicide prevention and basically anything that your family or teenagers are going through. And we have this free podcast. We do once a week episodes for almost four years now. It's called Light the Fight. And let me turn over the microphone to my good buddy, Heidi. Well, thank you guys. Um, I want to start out just by kind of shouting out this whole event. Um, And so for for our listeners who aren't here local and might not be residents here local, um, this this week kind of kicked off almost, well, almost a week ago. So last Tuesday night. So when we're recording today is 
Monday, September 13th, which is kind of coming on the very heels of World Suicide Prevention Week. And last week, Tuesday night, I was actually on that stage right over there <laughs> um, for only seven minutes. That was my spot. Um, this week kicked off with a suicide prevention um, hope concert that was performed by Alex Boyer. And I just got to hand it to the individuals who came together to make this whole week happen. So the cities of Harriman, Bluffdale, and Riverton, um, and like most cities in Utah, have experienced more than their fair share of suicide, um, specifically in the youth category. Um, but the city leaders, along with all the different religious leaders, kind of came together and said, we got to do something. We want to do something. And they decided to do this very um, integrated, cooperative event and got as many organizations and people involved, which I just think is brilliant. So the week kicked off with the concert. Then there was a couple nights of um, classes that you could go to at high schools and various locations. And um, Saturday lined up with the National Day of Service, where there was a whole bunch of different projects going on, some of which benefited um, Hope Squads. In fact, there's a portion of what's called, oh shoot, I'm going to mess it up. There's a trail here that goes all the way through Harriman. Can't remember the name of it now. Shoot, I'm on the spot. Anyway, <laughs> um, they took a portion of it and called that um, Hope Trail. And they put up signs and all of this different stuff um, to really call out hope, to call out suicide prevention and awareness. So, um, and then tonight is kind of the, the explanation point, hopefully, on this whole week, where we are in kind of the city center of Harriman. There's a farmer's market going on. There's food trucks. Delicious smelling food. It does smell delicious. It smells really good. Um, and there's a bunch of um, organizations here set up to offer resources to families who, who may need that for suicide prevention and awareness. Um, I, and I got to tell you, I haven't seen this type of concerted, amazing effort ever, which is really extremely exciting. Oh, okay. okay. Very cool. Right. Wooden hearts will be placed on the trail. Okay, very cool. I mean, okay, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Um, Thank you. So anyway, David and I were invited by the organizers to come and record an episode. <laughs> and so if you can't see us, if you're not here, we're actually sitting like in a pavilion um, am amid, amongst many, many friends. I can see some <laughs> friendly faces and people wondering what the heck we're doing also. <laughs> you okay there? <laughs> um, I, I just want to talk for a second about lots changed in recent years around here. Um, when I first moved here uh, to Utah and I started practicing as a therapist specializing with teenagers, uh, the year was 2000, end of 2007, beginning of 2008. 
And I remember when I first came here um, from San Diego, California, I thought to myself, I'm like, man, like, I'm going to be out of business. Like, there's not problems in Utah. Like, no like, problems like, in Utah. Teenagers don't have problems. Families don't have problems. I, I literally thought that it was like I was coming from the place that had tons of job security for me, tons of families to help, to a place that was just I was going to have none. And when I got here, I found out that I was right in the fact thinking there's a lot of great families because there are a lot of great families here. But I was wrong in underestimating the pressure that comes from being in, you know, sometimes privileged situations. And most of the older people that I talk to, most of the parents I talk with, they, they tell me a lot about how their lives were so much harder than their kids' lives currently right now. And how they provided so many amazing things for their kids. They've worked so hard. Most parents will tell me, I'm not as crazy as my parents, so my kids should be normal. Like, they shouldn't have any problems. And as we talk, they, they tell me things like, why are my kids struggling? Why do they have you know, um, self-doubt to such an extreme where they might want to harm themselves or having depression and anxiety and all these different types of things? And they'll tell me these things and they say, we just don't get it because it just doesn't make sense. The, trying to do relationship math is tough to do. It's like, we have a good family, we have a good life, so they should have a good life. And when it doesn't work out and when kids are still struggling, it really throws parents for a loop. And it makes them question like, is it me? Did I do something wrong? And I'd always reassure parents that you can have a great family, you can have a great situation, and you can have great kids. And you can also have great struggles. A lot of things are gonna come at your family, gonna come at you sideways that you're not gonna see coming. And you're gonna have to step up your game. You're gonna have to figure out how do I become an evolved version of what my parents were. My kids, maybe their life was easier for me a couple of years ago, but now I gotta change some things I gotta do differently. And a big thing in our podcast that we talk about is ways that parents can step up their game, not because of what they're doing is necessarily wrong, but because their kids are going through struggles. And sometimes when you go in through a struggle with someone together, there's strength in that number. Like there's strength in that. And so when I talk to parents and they tell me my kids are struggling like this, I tell them, we gotta give them some purposeful struggle. And one of the most purposeful struggles a teenager, a young person go through is figuring out how to connect with other people. And Heidi and I were talking before we did this episode of our podcast about like what this month is really about. There's a lot of action, there's a lot of events, and there's a lot of awareness. But if you break it down to its nuts and bolts, this whole entire month is about connection. Suicide awareness is really about connection because everyone has relationships in their life that they have close connections with. And then we have relationships in our life that we used to have close connections with that we no longer have those connections with. And sometimes we know a family member or friend struggling, our kid might be struggling. But for whatever reason in the past year, we haven't been as close to them anymore. So when we talk about suicide awareness, it's talking about what can we do as family members, as friends, to have better connections so when the time comes that our kids are struggling, our family members are struggling, we can use that connection just like it's money. We can cash that in. We can be like, I got your back. I'm here for you. And our relationship is gonna give you a chance to trust in me to practice out some of the things that are going on inside your head. We all have good friends that we'll open up stuff to and we also have people that we won't open up to. Maybe for fear of judgment, criticism, what have you. But if we have one or two people in our life that have our back, that we know that we could tell them anything without judgment, without them thinking something's wrong with us or instantly trying to fix us, that conversation, that connection can save lives and it has and it will continue to save lives. So that's what I really wanna talk about is how we can take this awareness month and turn it into ideas of how to better connect with our family, friends, and loved ones. I'm glad that you brought up that 
even good families, great families, great people still have really great problems. Um, there's no family that's immune from the problems that, from problems, right? Everybody has problems. Every relationship has struggles. Every family situation needs to work on the relationships in their family. There's, there's nobody that doesn't need to work on those relationships. And so sometimes what happens is that I think we want to maybe think that just because we're in a family that we should naturally have great connection or we should naturally have great relationships because that's what a family should be. Or our kids, could sh our kids should definitely come and talk to us because we've been with them their whole entire life. Like, why wouldn't they want to come talk to us? Right. We do everything for them. We do their laundry and we make them food and we provide a place for them to sleep. And so surely they should trust us, right? And one of the things, um, in fact, I was out on a walk this morning and I had a neighbor pull up beside me and, and my one hour window of walk shrunk down to like, actually only nine minutes of walking. Do you ever get a full walk? <laughs> I, I know, Probably it's not, not very often. But one thing that we talked about is, is expectations and disappointment. And that's one of those things that happens in families where we each have real expectations of each other and often we let each other down and that's parents letting kids down and it's kids letting parents down and so if we haven't figured out how to get past some of these disappointments and understand the expectations and then work through them when we don't that's one of these like real lack of communications one of those things that will just shatter communications is when expectations aren't met and disappointment reigns. Well, every relationship has an expiration date. I don't care if you're happily married, every time you have a kid, every time you lose a job, every time you go through a difficult time in your life, that relationship you have with those people in your life, it expires. Now, it's up to us to go figure out how to re-up that relationship. Just like a gallon of milk, you know, you don't just stop drinking milk. <laughs> you got to go back and get another gallon. Sometimes our relationships with our kids and our family members and friends, they can be really good. And sometimes life happens, our interests change, maybe uh, they move away, maybe they get older and they start hanging out with their teenage friends more than they want to hang out with mom and dad. They're interested yeah. in different things. It doesn't mean that the relationship has to change in a bad way, but it does have to evolve. And so when we talk about expectations, we're really talking about having realistic expectations. And when people understand that every time in your life when you go through a change, you gotta look at all your relationships and sometimes that's a good time to cut out some relationships. Sometimes that's a good time to be like, hey, that relationship served its purpose, but now we're not in a bad place, we're just in a different place. I know with teenagers, a lot of teenagers I've worked throughout the years that are suicidal, a lot of the time, not all the time, there've been some serious changes in their interpersonal relationships. It could be a relationship with a parent goes bad. It could be a relationship with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a best friend. And sometimes it could be just a relationship that they feel they're abandoned by and maybe they weren't actually abandoned by that person, but that's the way that they felt that. If they understand, if people understand, think about like 
these relationships are supposed to expire so that we can re-up and evolve to new relationships. It just puts a little bit of a different spin on it. So like, maybe this is not a bad thing. Maybe it's just the next thing. Maybe we just need to keep on moving in this relationship. So when I talk to teenagers that are struggling with suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideations, and we get through a lot of the deep, mucky stuff that's going on, it's usually connected to the loss. And they're, they're like grieving from the death of these relationships that just didn't work out the way they thought it would be. And sometimes that relationship is gonna be with yourself. Our listeners, you guys all know that, you know, if you're listening to our podcast, you've, you've had some rough relationships with yourself, probably more than anyone else. Because a good mom, a good dad, a good parent, a good friend, they're always gonna be their hardest critics. They're always gonna be hard on themselves. So when you're listening to this podcast and you're hearing us talk about this today, about suicide prevention, realize that if you're struggling with someone in your life and it's making you feel like maybe you're not good enough for that person, maybe you know, you're not gonna meet their standards, try considering that maybe that relationship has to expire and has to be reborn again. Maybe that relationship with yourself, yeah, maybe it didn't work out the way it was before, but just like drinking bad milk, milk that's gone past the expiration date, two or three weeks, if you drink that milk, you're gonna get sick. In any relationship in your life, if we try to hold on to those relationships past the expiration date and having the same expectations, it's not gonna work out well. It's not gonna work out well. So Suicide Awareness Month, the moments that you have to reach out to friends, Realize that you have a relationship with them, but now that they're in a vulnerable situation, now you get a chance to have a new relationship with them. I love it when I'm talking to friends that I grew up with that break down and open up to me and tell me they're going through a divorce or they're going through these hard things. And the reason why I love it is because I know they don't normally open up and say those things to their friends. And so when they open up and talk to me about it, it's like that little release valve. It's like, just clears enough of the tension so that they start conversations. The next thing you know, maybe they go talk to their wife. Maybe they go talk to a counselor. Maybe they get help. Maybe if they had addiction issues, maybe they go to treatment. Point is, when we're always trying to improve and re-up the relationships in our life, we're always able to see a new way out. Life is worth living, but if you're in a relationship or multiple relationships with yourself or other people where you feel like that relationship is not gonna work for you anymore and you can't live like that anymore, well, that's a notification that's time to re-up and get a new relationship, not time to end your life, no matter how hard it is. Now, I work with people who attempt suicide all the time, so I don't judge people that attempt, but I do know that everyone has opportunities to reach out to new relationships and to build better versions of them. You know, I, I think that as a mom, um, particularly in this, like, beginning of a school year, right? You know, you're talking about relationships that expire and um, I, have a, I have a child, this year I have a child who's gone from middle school to high school. And it's interesting because my relationship with my middle school child has expired. <laughs> <laughs> and she um, wants to be treated like a high school child. Wait, the, did you say high school child? <laughs> yeah, she, I, I know. I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. Okay, guys, those, those of you who have not listened to our podcast before, this is time where we're doing therapy for Heidi. Continue. Go ahead, Heidi. No, but here, the, the problem is if my relationship, if she, if she wants my relationship, our relationship to change from her side, then it's also got to change from my side. These, the one thing that I want to point out is that you can't just, there's two people in a relationship. So both people have to recognize that the relationship has expired. 
And so there needs to be a conversation. And so that's one thing that I just kind want to point out. Kind of almost like a peace treaty. All right, peace, yeah. time out, yeah. time yeah. out. Let's and so that's why I want to point out, you know, it's great for us to talk about how, okay, this relationship is expiring and we're going to do something different, but let's make sure that we have a conversation about it. We say, you know what? Okay, now you're in high school. And so this is what my expectations are now as you're in high school. What are your expectations of me now that you're in high school? And I think we can both hold each other to different standards and expectations. But you can't really switch those standards and expectations. Well, you can, but it's probably better if you have a conversation about how the expectation has changed. Now, incidentally, when you do sit down and have this kind of a conversation, not when people are mad. No, you, you don't want to try to have a conversation no, with your teenagers mad? That, Why it, not? Does, it doesn't work at all especially oh, okay. when i'm mad i'll take a note on that one don't <laughs> talk to a teen um when they're mad okay when you're having a conversation about this about a change in expiration date change in relationship what actually happens is connection like oh so you trust me a little more or you're gonna give me maybe a little more expectation which is gonna require a little bit more out of our relationship and and we lean in a little bit more um, yeah, your kid wants to see it at the grown-ups table now. She's in high school. My, so, mom, quit treating me like I had a bib on. She's a child. I mean, hey, sophomore. Well, I'll tell you what. Put me in, coach. <laughs> Every teenager is like, put me in the game. I feel like I've, I've done enough work. Whether they really are ready for it or not, that's, you know, based on someone's opinion. But when a teenager wants to be treated differently, that's part of the cycle. That's just, that's what they're supposed to be doing right now. Because they got to get ready to create a family outside of their house, a family of friends, eventually right. marry someone, or eventually, you know, have other people they can go live with. And so this is a great opportunity, Heidi. It's an invitation <laughs> for you to bring her up to the kid, bring her up from the kid's table to the grown up table and bring her into management in your family business. In management. She's, she's a, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I know this is probably a different podcast topic, so maybe Brandon should take a note. But I know that you teach the 15-year-olds, you teach the sophomores, you teach the ones that are just coming up on getting ready to drive. So if you have, maybe you could just be thinking of like all the secrets mm. for parents of those like pre-driving high school childs. Just give them everything they ask for. <laughs> just, just give them whatever they want. Don't argue with them, right? Just... Whatever they want, say, hey, you can Perfect. have it. Now, all joking aside, um, like I just got done saying, if you got a teenager in high school right now, you got a great opportunity to bring them in to a whole different level of the family. I love it when parents like, I actually get to talk to my teenager like they're closer to a peer. Like I, I get a chance to talk to them like that. Now you can't wait for them to be mature enough and ready for you to talk to them like an adult. You gotta prep them for that beforehand. You gotta talk to them like an adult. And when I say like an adult, all you hard ass parents out there, I don't mean like like the type of adult, like the way your parents talk to you when they're mad at you, right? It's like, oh, you want me, want me to treat you like a dog? Treat like a adult, like not that hard style, but like more like a partner, right? It's like, hey, you want your kid to clean up their room instead of yelling at them to clean up their room, you know? See if the room's dirty, let it go for a moment. When things have mellowed down, there's no drama going on, you pull them aside and say, hey, tell you what, you know, the old me would have got pissed off that your room was dirty. And I would have I'm tried not to, sure I, how he I, knows that we have a dirty room issue right now. This is absolutely, I did not tell him this 
Lucky beforehand. guess. Lucky guess. <laughs> but you tell your kids, say the old me would have freaked out, would have told you 30 times, pick up your room, pick up your room, see the wet towels, pick it up, pick it up. It's going on and on and on and on on. But the new me knows, hey, you wouldn't like that because I wouldn't like that if someone did it to me. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Instead, I'm just going to come up to you and I'm going to say things like, hey, uh, wink, wink. I'm so glad that even after you forgot to clean up your room all day long, you're still going to do it before you go to bed because you know it's going to help everything go better for tomorrow. No fighting, no arguing. Thank you so much. Now, if your kid does a poor job of cleaning up their room, but you see them do a little bit and try to pick up a little bit, that's a win because you got them to move the needle and do something without having to scream at them. Because scream at them, shaming at them, trying to make them feel like it's it's the most important thing in the world. Which it's they not, don't clean up the room. Because it's only important to you. Because what we're doing as parents is unknowingly, we're teaching them that it's okay for us to call them out and that they should call us out too. Because that's how teenagers learn to call their parents out on their own hypocrisy if the parents are drilling them too much. So when parents are like, hey, listen, I'll work with you. Then if the teenager doesn't do it, then you're like, hey, listen, I gave you a chance. I didn't yell at you. I didn't get after you. I didn't do these things I would have done in the past. So come on, like I, I deserve you to put us a little bit of effort into it. That switches something in their brain. They're like, does not compute what's happening. My parents not shaming me. They're kind of being cool in a really manipulative way. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> right? And even though I'm talking about these things very quickly, like it's easy to do, it's not easy to do, it takes practice. But the concept is very simple. When people come at you with respect, you're more likely to come at them with respect. If you want to influence another human being, you better damn well let them influence you first. You better know it's important to them. So if they want to go hang out with their friends last minute, they didn't do their chores and they want money. So they want you to sponsor the hangout and drive them to the hangout and they didn't do their homework and they didn't do their chores. You give them, you give them one. You say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you do this. Not because you begged me, not because you pleaded and said, please let me do this. I'm actually going to do this to show you that I'm cool. I get it. And when you get back, if you don't do your side of it, if you don't come back and do your chores like you're agreeing to right now, because every kid's going to say, no, please give me a hangout with my friends today and I'll pay you on Tuesday. Right? <laughs> I'll, I'll do the chores on Tuesday. If you don't come back and give that to me, well, tell you the truth, I don't think that's going to happen because I think this is different. I think you'll come back and you'll do it because I know when you don't do your chores and you don't follow through with these things, it's not personal towards me. You would do it to any person that was your parent. Don't think you're special parents. Don't think that your kids are only disrespecting you. They'll disrespect whoever's around them that is acting like their parent. So when I say disrespect, I mean like not listen, right? It doesn't always come out as disrespect. So you tell them, I have complete confidence that when you come out back home, you're going to do your part because you wouldn't want me to go back to being the old parent. You threaten them with going back to your worst version of yourself and you laugh about it. You joke about it because they will agree. If you tell them, hey, I'd normally freak out the book. Okay, we're, I agree. Continue. You get someone to agree with you enough. That means you've been listening to what they've been saying. That way you have influence over them because you can't influence a, another human being like long lasting influence, which is threats, punishments, bribery. That stuff doesn't work that long. It lasts for a minute. The way you, if you want to be in the long game of influence your kids, you listen to what's important to them. You show them that their hangout is important to them. Show up on time, 
to pick them up or to drop them off, whatever they need you to do, do that. But then you flip it on them. You say, now I know you're going to give me the same respect back because I did you a solid. I didn't bust your chops about it. I didn't give you a hard time about it. I was cool about it. You keep on with that language over and over again. It's a Jedi mind trick. Teenagers are like, okay, I guess I'll clean my room now. Normally they're used to just fighting with you about it, but now they got no reason not to do it. Now if they don't do it, you can look at them like, what are we doing here? What's going on? Like, come on, man, you know how to clean your room. You got this. And they're looking at you going, normally I'd be mad for them not letting me hang out with my friends, but they let me hang out and they paid for it. Does not compute. Does, like they really get thrown off. You got to switch it up. If they see a pattern, like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 saying the same thing over and over again, they'll block it out. They won't listen to it. But if you throw a wrench in it, you're like, hey, I'm going to let you do this, not because you deserve it, because I'm giving you a chance to be my partner on something. Then you flip it and you ask them something for you in return. You'll be surprised. You don't have to guilt trip them. You don't have to like, you know, manipulate them. You're basically just telling them it's your turn now. I went first. Now it's your turn. And I love that. And that, actually, those of you who are listeners of the podcast, we talk about that a lot. Um, I think in general, we are talking to to parents. And one of the things that I said to David, you know, um, I hope that in this episode, as we chatted, we could really kind of hit on um, kind of a takeaway. We've seen suicide prevention change so much. Um, and for those of you who may be listening for the first time or don't know, um, we lost our son to suicide six years ago. And I had never been to any suicide prevention anything. Um, I was really completely um, ignorant or completely optimistic. I didn't think I needed that. I didn't even know what I needed. Um, and so to see- You're naive too. Right. Just naive as well, yeah. Right. Because really the only world view that I had was my own. And I just thought everything would be fine. And um, so, you know, I've had a lot of people over this last week, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, you know, what can we say to our kids? What is the conversation? How can we start a conversation with our kids that isn't upsetting, that I, it, for most of us, it's a really uncomfortable conversation to, to talk about suicide. And when you're uncomfortable, you don't look confident. Well, if you don't look you confident, kind of it's like, eh, it's a tough sell. If your kid's looking at you and you're like, oh, I, I don't know how to talk about this stuff, they're looking at you going, and I'm supposed to listen to you? And the reality is our kids aren't really afraid to talk about it. Not as much as we are, that's for they're sure. They're not as uncomfortable as we are. So, Typically, typically speaking. Would you want to, would you give kind of a, one thing Dave is really good at is giving conversations that you can start, of giving kind of some prompts that you can have as a parent to start a conversation and, and how to kind of lead a conversation about suicide prevention, about suicide, about um, establishing a non-stigmatized, a safe, con you know, letting them know that you're willing to talk about it, even though you might not feel very comfortable talking about it. Well, the best way to get your kids to open up if they are struggling with any major struggles since the topic is suicide, the best way for you to get a child to open up, teenager child, about things of this nature, 
is to be a parent that can hear and take all the things that are not about suicide that you would typically freak out about. If they know that you can handle the smaller conversations without losing your mind and panicking like it's the end of the world, then you pass the first test. The more conversations that you're able to naturally, organically have with your kids builds the probability that they're gonna be able to come to you as a trusted adult when things get really tough. Now, if we find ourselves freaking out, like Heidi, uh, our little bracelets we have here, I say, don't freak out. That was not my marketing ploy. That was hers. And I have actually had She's, this one on for a really, really long time. I think Heidi's like, hey, can I borrow yours? I need a couple extra. I'm like, for who? She's like, for me. I'm just kidding. But freaking out, in simplest terms, is a reaction. It's easy to freak out. Nobody's got to get a PhD in freaking out. No one's got to go to school, learn how it to freak out. It just comes amazingly natural. Totally natural, right? But if our kids are seeing us freak out too much, I'm not saying you can't freak out as a parent. Of course, you're a human being. You're going to freak out. But if they see us freaking out about the trash not being taken out, freaking out about all these little things throughout the week, and then they fall upon hard times with their friends, with their self-confidence, whatever it may be, you may have a really low chance or definitely a decreased chance of your kids saying, you know what, I'm gonna go talk to about my parent about something way serious than the things they freaked out about and that's gonna go well. Right. My kids aren't stupid, they're not idiots. They're, run, they're running the numbers in their head going, nah, uh-uh, I'm out. I ain't, trying, I ain't going to mom right now. Mom couldn't even handle that the dishes had spots on them. She can't handle this, <laughs> right? And I'm being sarcastic for all your moms out there. You get what I'm saying? So playing it cool, be, pretending to be coy, pretending to be naive when you really are not. So many times as parents, we know that the troubles that could fall upon our kids if they don't deal with certain issues now. And if we freak out too quick to try to scare them and warn them that they have to fix those issues now, otherwise it's getting it worse. If we don't give them a chance to let their troubles breathe a little bit, to let us, like, let's say they make a mistake and to play dumb, like, oh, really, like, made that mistake? So, gosh, didn't we have an agreement that you can't go hang out with your friends? Huh. Gosh, man, I'll tell you what, I'm sure you'll do better next time. Wait, 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 I, uh, instead of going, what? You made a mistake? What's, I thought I told you that. If it's personal, then it's not a conversation. It's not a learning tool. Everybody's had a bad boss that when you made a mistake, they made every mistake you made feel very personal. You're not gonna go to that boss and tell him that, you know, you slept in. You're gonna, you're gonna lie. You're, you're not gonna be honest with that person. So if we wanna teach our kids to be, to be dishonest or withhold really tough things that they're going through, freak out on every little thing because we'll never get to the trusted adult point. Now, on the other hand, if you really work and exercise that playing it cool, letting the problems breathe, gotta give consequences, but you don't have to give like criticism and make it personal. You get good at that, next thing you know, you start telling them, hey, can you do me a favor? And I've had tons of parents do this. The parent goes, hey, can you do me a favor to their kid? And the kid's like, well, what? It's like, will you do me a favor and bring me some things, some issues that typically you would think I would freak out about? And I want you to test me because I'm trying to not freak out so much. So if you bring me some of these issues just to test me and to see how I handle, I'm only gonna get better because you get better at anything you practice. If you practice freaking out all the time, you get better freaking out. I'm real good at if it. If you practice playing it cool and taking on certain things, trust me, every time I've had a parent do this, 
they always come back and say, David, why did you have me do this? They go, why? I say, oh, they're telling me things I don't want to know now. <laughs> they're there. They're going, okay, you want to know? All right, well, you asked for it. Here we go. You told me I could say this. It reminds me of an old Will Ferrell movie. It's like, well, I thought we were in the circle of the tree of trust, mom. Like, I thought we could talk about anything right now. And parents are like freaking out. I'm like, don't, don't worry. If they're telling you stuff that scares you, remember what's really going on. They trust you to tell you. So always thank your kid when they come to you with difficult, stressed out information or if they come to you with just flat out apology because they blew it. If you thank them for giving you that information first, not only will it help them be rewarded like, hey, I'm not gonna get killed right now. I hear from teens all the time. My parents are gonna kill me, they're gonna kill me. We always think as parents, why would you think that? I'm like, well, have you seen yourself overreact to some of the things that they did, like leaving a towel on the ground, a wet towel? It's like, if you had a video camera watching yourself, you look like you want to kill them too. It's like, forget about suicide. That's homicide right there at that moment. They're scared to death of you. And you could be the nicest parent in the world and put fear in your kids because you have all the power. But once they see that you're inviting them to bring to them things that they're not sure if you can handle it or not, well, then it's game on. Now they start to go, wow, mom, dad, I thought you were gonna freak out and ground me because I told you that. You can tell them, well, you know, I'm not gonna say that I like it, I'm not gonna say that I want you to keep on doing it, but I guess I'm glad that you feel that you can trust me because at the end of the day, the relationship's more important than them being perfect. Keeping that close connection with them leads to the next step. And the next step is if they do get in a really dark place. The only reason why teenagers have opened up to me throughout the years about them being suicidal when they didn't tell their friends, they didn't tell their mom, they didn't tell their dad, they didn't tell anyone else. The main reason why they opened up to me throughout the years is because they tested me every time they talked to me. They would throw the craziest stuff at me. I'd be like, oh, for real? And then when they leave, I was like, damn, shoot. Like, I just didn't overreact in front of them. In front of them, I was like, oh, cool, okay, yeah. So and you like, are allowed to overreact like, if they don't see it. Yeah, just overreact later. Like freak <laughs> out later when they're not around because the freaking out, it doesn't matter who your kid is. If anyone that you gave birth to or were in charge of raising told you something like that, the natural reaction is to overreact. But a response, that's where they learn to trust you. So when teenagers, they'll tell me, oh, I did this, I did that. I'm like, okay, I'm like, well, how'd that work out? Not so well. I'm like, well, there you go. Like, I'm not trying to like, why'd you do that? You better not do that again. They're not dumb. They know the difference between right and wrong. I just don't want any of the teenagers I work with to feel like if they make this choice, they're bad. If they make this choice, they're good. Because at the end of the day, you can make a good choice and it doesn't work out well. You can make a bad choice and whoo, by the skin of your teeth, you got away and no one even know you did it. That's true. Right? Yeah. So you don't get to pick your consequences and you don't get to pick your re rewards, but if you're a trusted adult or a trusted friend in someone's life because you've taken all the stuff, they've told you that they've, they've done drugs, they've told you they've done this, they've told you that they've, you know, they, they, they failed in a class and they're embarrassed, they told you that their friends don't like them, someone broke up with them, no matter what their insecurities, no matter what their struggles are that they told you, if you sat there and you first off just tell them thank you, thank you for trusting in me, that shows you're a ride or die person in their life. You're like, I will be mad at you later, but for now, I'm happy that you trusted me because you do not want to break someone's trust that's testing out the waters. You, for all you parents out there, you are the practice run for your kids in their life. If you freak out on something that they're insecure about, well, then now they're fearful that everybody else is going to freak out about it. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you can't discipline. doesn't mean you can't you know, be a parent. It just means thank them first, listen to what they have to say. Then when the times get really tough, you got a really good chance that they're gonna come to you. And if they don't necessarily come to you, they'll still take your advice.
they'll still take your suggestions. They'll still maybe go to a counselor, maybe talk to a cool uncle or aunt that maybe they feel more comfortable breaking some of those, the ice of some of those really deep things they're struggling with. That's how we do suicide prevention. We build a better relationship. Or as I like to say, the kryptonite to anxiety and depression is connection. 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 It always has been and it always will be. We will open up to our closest friend about things that we wouldn't even admit to ourselves because we know that that person won't judge us. And then once we work it out loud, then we realize what we have to do. Our kids, once they start talking things out loud, once our friends start talking things out loud, it's amazing the great ideas they can come up with. But if they have conversations in their head about how to handle every situation and they don't practice and get it out to everyone else, I don't know about you in your high school years, but I made some dumb decisions because I was just, oh, gee, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Okay, I'll do it. I should have ran that by a couple people. <laughs> I should have had a couple of handlers to like check that out with and you as parents could be that person for your kids. And also you kids out there, you could be that friend for your friend. I, so many teenagers were the best suicide prevention hotline for their friends. And even if their friends aren't suicidal, you're just the best person because there's no true honesty like there is amongst peers. When you talk to a girlfriend or a guy friend or you talk to someone at your own age that's going through similar struggles, you can be so much more honest with them. Yeah. So don't be jealous or try not to be jealous if, you're, if your kids are opening up to their friends more. That's normal because they can have more honest conversation with each other. Now, if you have a good relationship with your kids, they'll still open up with you but maybe they're gonna to try to practice it with their friend first before they come to you with that information. Well, as we kind of wind down, there's probably parents who are thinking, you know, oh crap, I've been a freaker outer for years. No, no one's thinking that. <laughs> okay, just I'm thinking that, that's my, it's my main thing, right? Is that I came, in, I came into this situation realizing that I had to change the culture inside my family. I had to freak out less. I had to be somebody that changed the way I responded to literally everything. And I think that I want to remind parents that it's never too late. There's never too late to say, I'm sorry. Even if it's something that happened, you know, months ago, the beginning of the summer, last year, and, and it still haunts you like I never should have said that. That never should have come out of my mouth. I wish I never would have reacted that way. And if you're one of those parents say, well, my parents never apologized to me. Well, you know, that's unfortunate. Doesn't mean that you can't break that mold though. Right. I think that even if, if we were to think about our own parents, what if our parents came to us and sat down and said, I want to talk to you about something, you know? Do you remember that night? Remember when I freaked out? Remember how I said those things? I'm really sorry. I became a therapist because my family would never go to counseling or talk about their problems. I'm like, man, if my family won't do it, at least I'll try to help someone's willing to. I just you know? believe that there is no gift that we can give to anybody that we love than to take that opportunity to say that we're sorry for something that we did that put a wedge in between our relationship. And even if it has to be a blanket thing, like sitting down and saying, you know, I know that I freak out and I know that I'm not the most understanding. And I know that when your room is a disaster, I can barely even have a functioning conversation with you or whatever it is. 
every kid would benefit and appreciate us as parents to apologize from when we maybe felt short, even if we felt like we, we were on the right, even if we felt like it was our responsibility, if it has put our relationship in a place where we can't trust each other, we can't enjoy that relationship, then, then we need to go, for, go first in apologizing and saying, I want to do better. So the next time I freak out, could you just maybe like wink twice and give me a sign <laughs> have give a me code a word <laughs> you're freaking out right now mom remember how you said you weren't going to do that anymore yeah and you know and, and <coughs> inviting someone to give you criticism doesn't feel as critical <coughs> if you invite a close friend or a parent to like give you advice you're basically telling them hey I need you to be my eyes and ears because I may not know if I'm if I'm if I'm off. I may not know if I'm not in a good headspace right now or not a good place. And our best friends will be like, hey, hey, you know, you're kind of kind of you're kind of getting a little crazy right now. You might want to might want to downshift. You might want to tone it down a little, pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> my best friends, we always do that for each other. Like, hey, man, you all right, dude? Like, chill out, bro. Like, take a deep breath, and we appreciate those people in our life. But to get to that place, there's got to be a lot of someone's got to go first. You know, we just said last thing I'll say tonight. What you said reminded me of um, right after uh, uh, you guys lost Corey. Um, American Foundation Suicide Prevention this past weekend did their big suicide walk um, downtown Salt Lake City, Liberty Park. Well, I was asked, it just so happened to be that I was asked to be the keynote speaker for the, for the walk. And I remember uh, Taryn, the lady put on the walk, she told me, she said, hey Dave, she goes, can you talk about vulnerability? And I was like, sure. And I remember I kind of wrote out an outline of some ideas of some stuff I want to talk about. And I remember right before I was about to get up on stage, I remember I had just kind of some notes of some things I want to say. And I, look at, I looked at it and I thought, isn't this interesting? I'm going to talk about vulnerability when I feel really weird and vulnerable right now. Because what nobody knew in that audience was that this mom sitting with me at that event I was the counselor that was supposed to keep her son safe. So here I am, I'm supposed to talk about suicide prevention and how to keep people safe when I just failed at keeping her son safe. And she's like, go talk about how to be vulnerable, like steps. And I was like, okay, and I got up there. I remember I told you, you're like, like you know what you can talk about? Well, like I did, and I, you know, what happened? Like, I just threw it away. And you're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I gotta talk about something different. So instead of getting up on the stage and saying, this is what you gotta do to be vulnerable, I just said, watch me. And I said, I took her credit card, I charged it, I took her money, said goodbye to her, and I did not do my job. I didn't keep her son safe. It got real quiet in that audience. And I told them, I said, I can sit here and tell you how to be vulnerable, or I could just look like a freaking idiot and just be honest with you guys and tell you guys that I'm not sleeping too well at night. Yeah, for 20 years, or at that time it was 18 years, people used to always say, oh, you're, your gift is suicide prevention. Like, oh, you saved my kid's life. And in certain situations, I, I had a huge part of helping their kid not, you know, die and, and choose to, to not, you know, take their life. But I always felt really awkward and uncomfortable because I knew the odds were against me. But I never knew that it was going to happen the way it happened with your son. And I never knew right afterwards I was going to be asked to talk about how to keep, keep, keep kids safe. Went after how many thousands of kids I'd worked with 
that hadn't passed away, the one I'd lost, now they're asking me to talk about it. I felt like the biggest hypocrite in the world. I'm like, oh, you want me to talk about something I suck at? I was like, great, I'm gonna get up there and just tell you how I feel. I feel like I failed. And when I looked across the audience and I saw how many people were crying, I was like, all right, I said the right thing. Because I thought about it. Everyone here that was wearing the beads that had a friend or a loved one, they were looking and going, why didn't I text them? Why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say that? Everybody is racking their brain. And right when I said that, the people started crying. I was like, oh, they're just like me. They feel like they should have done more. If they would have said this, if they would have done this, things would have been different. And I said, well, there's strength in numbers. And you know, people say misery loves company. But damn, when you're going through something that's so miserable, I would hate for you to have to go through it alone. And so that's, that's what I want to leave with you guys is nobody wants to go through hurt and pain alone, but it happens to be the one thing that we can all relate to. White, black, Asian, Catholic, Buddhist, atheist, doesn't matter. Hurt and pain is hurt and pain. If you go through hurt and pain, you can relate to one another. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, it's true. I didn't know that my son was the first client of David that David lost um, until he shared that on stage. Well, I was ashamed to share it. That's why. And, um, you know, he knew. He knew that I felt like the worst mom ever. And, and to tell you the truth, I still... I still battle those thoughts a lot, as I know that every mom does. In fact, I was I was at an event with hey, a bunch of moms too. and dads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just am not a dad, so sorry. Sorry <laughs> to leave the dads out from your shame. Dads just don't act is like remorseful sometimes. Continue. I mean, I was at I was at a thing that a bunch of moms. We were like working our heads off for to do something for our kids that that were on a team, and and the kid and the moms were sitting around talking about how much. The kids think that they're mean, horrible moms as we're like sweating our brains out trying to set up this special dinner <laughs> for our kids. You, you know, as parents, we, these are our most precious investment. Um, we love them. We would do anything for them. And sometimes that, that is what we're asked to do we're asked to do the thing that's the most uncomfortable with, which is to make change, which is to learn. Somebody wrote me this week and said, how have you changed as a mother since losing your son to suicide? And I, I don't even know where to begin. because I'm proud to report that I have completely changed since losing my son. And that doesn't mean that I'm perfect and it doesn't mean that I don't freak out because I am still a champion freaker outer. There's another one. There's another one. <laughs> another bracelet says don't freak out. But I know that I've got to say I'm sorry and I know I've got to show up and I know I've got to shut up when, when people are talking to me and I know that I can't just dish out advice when somebody comes to me with a problem. And I know how important it is 
to let my child know that even when I'm disappointed, even when they're disappointed in themselves, we still love each other and we're still there for each other and we're still gonna walk it together. Because the reality is that when our children disappoint us, they disappoint themselves first. And when we disappoint our kids, we disappoint ourselves first. And it's okay, like David said, to share that disappointment with each other so that we know where we come from and so that we have a little bit of respect for what actually is going on. Parents and kids, and kids and parents, we just love each other so much, which makes it so much harder. I'll never tell anyone that I'm thankful for what I've gone through. I, I will tell you that my kid, Corey, gave the best, the best hugs. And that's what I miss the most. But I am grateful for what I've learned. And I'm grateful for the parents and for the families out there that, that are willing to listen to me and hopefully learn from me so that they don't have to learn it for themselves. I know that the best suicide prevention is connection. And that's not just making cookies at midnight. It's not just making sure clothes are folded or the, the cutest outfit is picked for the first day of school. It's, it's actually sharing the things that you're worried about, the faults that you have, and inviting your child to come into that space and be honest with you. Connection takes work. It takes practice and it does not happen overnight, but it is the most powerful influential work you can do in any one of your relationships. And that that is suicide prevention. That wraps it up. You guys, thank you for being here. Those of you who have come, and thank you for those of you who are listening, folding your clothes, or mowing your lawn, or hopefully exercising. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us, listening, and thank you for helping us to light the fight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.